Hello everybody and welcome back to another episode of Chump Talk. This is episode 215. I am Brady with Maddie P. We are in a little bit of a different circumstance than usual. We're actually ripping Matt's, what is it, 04? 04 Pontiac Vibe. 04 Pontiac Vibe. We are in the vibrator. We are headed to Toronto to the 6 to see our Leafs take on the Dallas Stars. No Austin Matthews. Thanks for a brutal suspension. He didn't deserve that. But we are on our way there. If the sound is shitty, that's why. We are going to send it over to the interview very shortly. We have one of my top five favorite interviews of all time, I would say for sure, since we started Chump Talk. JJ Hunter, the oldest Hunter brother from the uh, country country music band, the Hunter Brothers. Uh, unreal interview, he had, a, he had a pro hockey career. He played a lot in the AHL and the ECHL. We got into that lots, but he's just a sports guy through and through. So sorry if we didn't get to a, enough of the music chat, we definitely did get there, but a lot of a lot of sports were talked, and that's what that's what's fun about interviewing these country music guys. Like we had Brett Kissel, and now we have the Hunter Brothers, um, because they are huge fans of sports, and I feel like they're more likely to take up take us up on the interview because they love sports. And he said that at, he said that at the start too that he doesn't often get to talk about sports; it's usually just music. So that was fun. Uh, JJ Hunter, hell of an interview. Yeah, I mean. Enough said there. Unreal interview with JJ. It was uh, just, it's just, it's, I don't know, it's, it's just cool that, to talk about the country music aspect of everything. And then he's also, he's from Saskatchewan, so uh, he was a part of the Edmonton Oilers organization, but a group of Calgary fans. So just talking about that and also a massive Jays fan. And as we all know, the Jays are ramping up, so we got into that a little bit too. But actually, we didn't get into as much as we wanted to just because we ran out of time with JJ. But unreal interview, and we'll send it over to that right now. Okay, today we are pleased by, to be joined by a very special guest. This ex-professional hockey player turned country star is the oldest of five brothers in the Canadian country group, the Hunter Brothers. We are very pleased to welcome J.J. Hunter to the show. Thank you for doing this, J.J. Hey, guys. Thanks so much for having me on. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you for taking the time. It's, uh, it's truly an honor to have you on today. And just based off of the conversations we had before we started recording here, we're, we're in for a good one today, I think. But uh, just tell us uh, where you're talking to us from now. And uh, just a little bit of, about your winter, I guess, over just the last few months, what you've been up to and, and what the future's looking like for you. Yeah, you bet. We, uh, well, first of all, thanks for having me on in the sense I, I don't always get to talk sports so often yeah. we're talking music or whatever. And so this is always a treat for me to relive the glory days <laughs> back <laughs> in the, the hockey days. But um, yeah, so I'm, I'm uh, calling you from the farm. Uh, this used to be our old mechanic shop on the farm where we did all our inside work. Uh, we built a new shop a few years ago. And so we did, we gutted this place, uh, completely renovated it. Um, just on the other side of the wall here, we have a stage and kind of a whole rehearsal space um, that we, you know, get to play our music in and all our gear is set up there. And then um, it was actually in 2019, um, we were making trips to Nashville all the time to record down there. And uh, we said, man, wouldn't it be nice to have a, a recording studio right here on the farm? Uh, because without fail, we'd go down record, you'd get back to the farm and there'd be stuff that we want to re-sing or harmonies that we'd want to add or whatever it was. And we had no capabilities of doing that. So this we thought would just be a little place to record some demos and maybe the odd little clip. Well, then with how the world has gone the last few years and not being able to travel, we've recorded our last two albums here. All every vocal, uh, um, every vocal except for one song was recorded here. Wow. And uh, we've just kind of done more and more out of our home studio. And so, yeah, this is where we're at, at home on the farm in Saskatchewan. And uh, that was what life was. It was farming during the summertime, training for the next hockey season, doing some music festivals on the weekend. And then uh, in the winter, we'd we'd hit the road with uh, whatever hockey team we were playing on and uh, grew up here with four younger brothers. So the five of us are in the band now all together and uh, uh, had no sisters. And um, <laughs> one by one, we made our way back. We were all playing, we all played hockey and yeah. one by one through injuries and various things, made our way back to the farm and decided to really take a swing at the music. And, uh, and uh, it's been uh, really encouraging to have the support of the nation and, and beyond behind the music. And it's been a fun journey. Well, you just, you just said how much you like talking sports. And I just realized we were talking for like 10 minutes before we started recording. And I don't think music came up for even a second. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I will talk sports all day long. We, we, we will. Hockey, let's do it. I'm sure the, the people listening to this are going to want to hear some music. So we'll get to it at the end, but we definitely have lots of sports questions. But before we get started, you talk about the home farm that you're on now. So who's actually living on the farm now? Well, we've, uh, over the course of the last 
you know, decade or so, uh, we've kind of moved various places. Um, some of us are actually building homes and uh, I started a new yard, my wife and I and, and our kids. So we planted about 900 trees last year. Wow, wow. Quite an undertaking. Uh, but we're all close here. Um, my right. one brother lives about uh, eight miles north of Shaunavon. Uh, we're all close to the farm. I have another brother that's, uh, my youngest brother works elsewhere when he's not doing the music, but uh, he lives right in Shaunavon. So yeah, we're all, we're all fairly close here around the farm. What's the dynamic? I'm just wondering, like, where, you, where you're recording now, you said that you guys record there. Just what's that dynamic between you and your brothers? Like, is it like when you guys are recording, is it down to business? Is it like kind of joking around or just what's the, because, you know, ha- having brothers uh, is, isn't always fun. It's usually fun, but, you know, there's, yeah. there's lots of scraps, lots of arguments. So oh, yeah. what's, what's that dynamic like for the five of you? Yeah. Um, it's taken different shapes over the years. I can definitely say that different relationships have developed in different ways. Uh, when we were young, uh, I was telling you before we jumped on here that dad built us an artificial ice rink right beside our house. And uh, that was when that was kind of an unheard of thing. He found an old artificial ice rink plant from, it was actually from a curling rink in a neighboring town. They were shutting down the curling rink or getting a new plant. I can't remember which. And he bought it and built us this rink. Well, growing up, I mean, you can imagine the battles that we had out there as brothers. Yeah. Uh, it was, <laughs> Ty was quite a bit younger, but so it was always me and Brock against Dusty and Luke. And wow, yeah, we had some wars for sure. Uh, as the years went on, um, you know, we were always friends, but those age gaps were, you know, caused certain things. I was long gone out of the house before Ty was and, you know, there's 12, almost 13 years between us. And so uh, there's quite an age gap when we were younger. So our relationship really started to develop when I retired from playing hockey and came home. When we're in the studio, um, we each kind of have our different strengths. And uh, Brock is, Brock sings bass. So he's usually in here last recording vocals, but he's really uh, in tune with tracks and music. And so he likes to weigh in there. Ty's our lead singer. So he comes in first. He lays his tracks down, usually himself. It's just him and I. And he likes to be kind of just in his own space and just yeah. get into the groove and so yeah he we've had him laying on the couch over here sometimes he's dancing so you know he's all over the place um dusty is very focused dusty's down to business when he's in here it's just we're coming in here to sing yeah. and, and usually we talk hockey draft fantasy hockey at some point though but <laughs> uh, then uh and then luke sings a baritone part and dusty sits in here while he records that so uh that's always kind of fun with the three of us but yeah it always it, it kind of now has morphed into this thing where that's the that's how it looks but we've done it every way imaginable so uh we're brothers we don't agree on everything uh but we try to look at it as those differences or that diversity within us kind of kind of we try to use that to our strength we're gonna need to get you guys in our fantasy hockey league next year we do a we do one with us and we'll, we'll get you in there do we have a keeper uh, league or is it just uh, we, we're not keeper but we'd like to get it to a point where it would be a keeper at some point Okay. That'd be that'd be the ideal. I had something written down though, because obviously all of you have been in hockey change rooms in your life growing up. You all played high level hockey. When the five of you are in the studio, just kind of shooting the shit, is it kind of remind? Does that kind of remind you of a hockey change room in a sense? Yeah, to a degree, and I think. Um... Uh, I had one of my coaches in junior hockey when I was playing with the Kelowna Rockets was Mark Habscheid. He coaches in Prince Albert now, a fantastic coach, um, excellent relationally, uh, knows how to get a lot out of his players. Very, very prepared. Um, he came to a show a few years back that we were, that we were having here in the province. And uh, we actually started talking about that, the dynamic of when you leave the hockey dressing room. I mean, when you talk to the hockey guys, I'm sure you guys have heard it too. You, you miss the games, you miss the, you know, the common goals working towards a, you know, a championship or whatever it is. But the guys always say, you know, I miss the bus rides. I miss being in the room, yeah. just hanging out with the guys and uh, you miss that competitiveness. And uh, I think that is provided, you know, with, with the brothers getting to hang out, getting to talk about whatever it is, whatever's going on that day or the music or figuring that out. I think the live shows too really fill a void that way because although it's in some ways really different than hockey, it's, there's a lot of similarities too, because, uh, adrenaline rush. 
Oh, they're absolutely that. And you don't know what can happen. I mean, in, in a hockey game, you've got your systems, you know what you're preparing for, uh, yeah. but you get on the ice and all of a sudden the, the other team throws a curveball at you and they change their system up or they change your breakout and you've got to be able to, and that's the way live shows are. You don't know what can go wrong. You could have, you know, interference, you know, in your earbuds or you could have, you know, strings break. You can have stuff go wrong. Audience doesn't respond the way you think they are going to, whatever. And so you really have to be on your toes. So there's quite a few similarities. Is there anything that uh, has gone wrong at a, at, a, at a live show that you'd be willing to share? Or like, what's the worst thing that's happened? Oh, man. Oh. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of different stories. We were playing a show in Quebec. Um, this was, you know, I think in 2019, the summer of 2019. And um, we had traveled all the way out there. Uh, I travel with two acoustic guitars. Brock travels with one, even though he's an electric player, because we usually do kind of an acoustic set in the middle. Right. Well, we didn't have a guitar tech on it. And through the course of the show, we broke strings on all three acoustic guitars. And so wow. then I'm left with, with no guitar. Fortunately, uh, because finally, uh, when I had broken both of mine, um, Brock, I got Brock's guitar, and it was the last song of the show that I broke his string. So it was, I just <laughs> played it out. But I mean, it, it does happen where you all of a sudden are like, like, had we had more songs, I would, <laughs> I don't know what I would have played, but uh, or take a break. Um, probably the worst was our very first. Uh, we'd signed with our label, with our management company. We were doing a show out in BC. And uh, we were there so early because we were under a label. So we were all, you know, this is the whole country music thing was really new to us. And we were super early, set up, got our stuff there. But there were all these bands playing in front of us. So we sat there all day as all these other bands played. There was a lot of time gap between each act and everything. And, and we were nervous because we were opening for Doc Walker, who, you know, for us at that point, that was, a, that was one of the first times we had opened for a major, you know, recording act in, in Canada. Well, finally, finally got to our set. And we had just started hauling our stuff on and the stage manager yells at us, you guys got four minutes to showtime. And we were like, like, we don't have, we don't even have anything set up. Yeah. And so we were hauling stuff on as fast as we could. Our in-ear monitors, monitors weren't working. The whole machine wouldn't turn on. There were no oh. floor monitors. So we had no way of hearing it. It was in this kind of tin can uh, like stage, like trailer stage that was there. Uh, we went to start the show. Dusty looked down and the mics on his drums weren't even plugged in. And <laughs> oh. the whole, like the whole thing, I, like it was an absolute disaster like yeah. and and this was like one of our first you know big <laughs> shows with our label and i just yeah it was everything that possibly could have possibly gone wrong went wrong and uh yeah you try to put those out of your mind but it you kind of have to roll with it the funny yeah. thing was doc walker got on right after us they gave them no time so they just said hey they yelled at the monitor tech throw something in the monitors and they just played, uh, you know, they played like pros and it was a, one of those learning experiences right off the hop where you go, okay, you, you got to learn to roll with things no matter what gets thrown. Yeah. At couldn't imagine. Couldn't imagine. But uh, let, let's take things way back. Let's step aside from music just for a little bit here. Uh, let's get into your hawker career a little bit. You played in the WHL from 98 to 01. And then after that, you spent time in the ECHL and the AHL. Uh, let, let's take it back even before the WHL. What were, what were the dreams as a child? Were you like pretty heavily involved in like music then too? Or was uh, kind of, you know, the, the typical young Canadian hockey player of the dream of being a pro hockey player one day? What was your dream? And when did you kind of realize that, you know, you had a legit shot of being a professional hockey player? Yeah, uh, that's a great question. Um, uh, hockey growing up was always my favorite um we there was kind of a unique situation uh with mom and dad mom was kind of the musical one in our family dad came from family from from a family of musicians but he was the one that put us in hockey and so they mom and dad kind of had this agreement mom put us in piano dad put us in hockey but they supported each other in kind of each endeavor <laughs> and uh, but mom must have won out because we weren't allowed to go out and play hockey until our piano was practiced so <laughs> out of the time he was the opposite he wasn't allowed to practice his piano until he went out and took his shots on the ice that's one thing we, <laughs> we had to go and practice our shots. anyway um yeah we uh I, I was pretty young. Uh, the first year that dad put me in hockey, I hated it. He took me out for a year, which to his credit, um, you know, a lot of parents, I don't think necessarily would have done that. He took me out, 
waited until I was ready, put me in, I think I was five or six when I finally grabbed onto it. And from that point on, yeah, the, the NHL dream was alive and, and that's what I wanted to do. I mentioned the, the rink that dad built and we spent every spare second we could out there. Um, I took a bit of a back road uh, in the, or, you know, a different way getting to the WHL. I wasn't drafted in the Batham draft. Um, I've played virtually no rep hockey other than one year of summer hockey. Uh, I played my minor hockey here in Shonovan. I went away to a private Christian school in Karenport for two years, grade 11 and 12, and played uh, my midget out there. Um, and I got listed by a junior A club. And so I thought, well, maybe I could play a little bit of junior A hockey and then hope for a scholarship, something like that. Um, but I called my uncle, who my uncle was a downhill racer, Jungle Jim Hunter. He was one of the original crazy Canucks. He won a medal in the 72 Olympics, and he was known for his uh -huh. crazy training technique. <laughs> he lives in Calgary. And so, really? I talk, yeah, I talked to my dad. I said, Dad, would you mind if I called Jungle up and go and train with him? And he said, go for it. So I called him up. Uh, went to Calgary, uh, started training with, with my Uncle Jim, and uh, uh, it was some ice time that he found through a friend's friend, and it just so happened that the guy that ran the ice session was uh, that just had become the head coach of the Cloner Rockets. No and way. So we built a wow. relationship, and we had been training so hard when I hit the ice. I'm sure, you know, I was like that guy that all the junior and pro guys are looking at <laughs> rolling their eyes because for me this is I, I knew I was stepping on the ice with guys that the, the ice sessions were built up of, of uh, you know pro guys and junior guys and as the summer progressed more of the Calgary Flames would come back and then they would skate and they, they would divide the sessions up into the pro players and the junior players but I was I mean for me this was my opportunity even though it wasn't even a training camp so I was going yeah, yeah. you know <laughs> as hard as I could and anyway um, Garth Malarchuk was the head coach at that time and uh, we built, started building a relationship over the course of the summer and he threw me up in the pro group and I went from playing double A midget hockey hoping to play a little bit of junior someday to getting listed by Kelowna and actually I got an invitation to the Calgary Flames rookie camp. No, I, I wasn't allowed to go because I'd never been through the draft. Of course I wow. hadn't been. I was playing double A midget in the middle of, you know, nowhere Saskatchewan. <laughs> and, uh, and so I wasn't allowed to go. Um, but it was a, it was a crazy year because that spring I was playing double A midget and that fall I had an invitation to the Calgary Flames rookie camp. And so um, I ended up going, making the team in Kelowna, playing there. Uh, after my first year I played, uh, I got an invitation to the Detroit Red Wings training camp just as a free wow. agent. And uh, so I got to skate with Sergei Fedorov and Stevie Iserman and Chris Draper, uh, scored a goal on Chris Osgood, assisted by <laughs> Chris Draper. And, you know, it was, it was really awesome. kind of, a dream come true, you know, and then the junior career progressed and eventually I signed with Edmondson. And yeah, we can talk about that as well, but it was, uh, you know, fairly young. I wanted to play in the NHL and, and do whatever it was that I could. And, uh, um, the music was always there. It was always part. We, uh, there was a little festival that started down here in our area and we got invited to sing as a family. Uh, we were singing, you know, this vocal based music. Uh, we sang our 15 minute set and then we get asked to sing different events around Saskatchewan. Yeah and then that western canada eventually and so in the summertime it was a mix of training and, and singing festivals and so music was always there too wow and just uh like it's kind of wild that like straight from double a midget to the whl it's something that you like never ever hear of but i mean like the fact that you put up 50 points and 66 games in that season too is also incredible so like just going into that season, like making the jump from double A to the WHL, like what expectations did you have for yourself? Did you ever imagine you'd be, you know, 16 points off of a point per game season in your first year in the WHL? Yeah. Um, I got to be honest. Uh, a lot of those points came on the heels of Brett McLean. Uh, I was, I played on the line with Brett McLean and, and he <laughs> kind of helped make that, that transition. Brett had played. They don't ask how. Hey, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, we, uh, I appreciate you saying that. Um, my uncle Jim, he he really preached believing in in yourself, and um, you know, I, I as a player, you go through those stretches where you do, and then you don't, and it's amazing how confidence can can change how you're playing. Um, that coach I mentioned, that Mark Habscheid was a coach in Kelowna. Um, he was. He replaced Garth, I think, halfway through my second year, and uh, but Garth really 
encouraged me and he made me believe that I was capable of playing. Uh, when we were training, skating in that summer camp, um, that first day I was skating alongside WHL players. And up to that point, the WHL was so high in my mind. Like the Swift Current Broncos were just an hour down the road. We grew up idolizing those guys and, and they would come out and skate with us, you know, once a year down here in Shaunavon. And hmm. um, they just seemed so high above that when I actually finally stepped on the ice with them that summer and realized, wow, I like I, I can compete with these guys. Something switched in my mindset, I think. And, and, um, and then Garth really helped. Uh, he gave me a lot of opportunities. Playing on the line with Brett McLean really helped. Brett really helped show me the ropes. Scott Hannon was uh, a defenseman on that team. Obviously, Scott played in the World Juniors and then had a long NHL career. And those guys really helped me transition. And that's something that, uh, you know, is, is invaluable when you have that senior leadership on the team helping the young guys out and, and helping you have that belief in yourself. That, uh, that really made a difference for me. And then getting into professional hockey, your first full season of professional hockey, you played 60 games for the Columbus Cotton Mouse, which is an unreal name, and uh, 45 points in 60 games, but it must have been a huge adjustment for you moving to the States for the first time, I'm guessing, because you just played in, in uh, Western Canada, and then putting up a, a good season, but playing in Columbus. Was it, was it an adjustment living-wise off the ice? It seems like you adjusted pretty well on the ice, but <laughs> must have been a crazy year. Uh, yeah. Um, and man, I get long winded. So I apologize guys. When we talk about this, there's so many stories that come to mind when you, yeah. do, you know, we start talking about this. Um, yeah, the pro game was definitely different. You know, you hear that, um, Scott Hannon, I mentioned just a minute ago, he came back from the San Jose training camp that year, uh, that first year. And I asked him, you know, about making the jump skating with NHL players and then coming back to junior. And, um, he said, yeah, it's a big jump. But I remember also realizing really quick that the jump, you know, the WHL, the OHL, the Q gets a lot of recognition in Canada as it should because you've got the, the elite players at that level. What I think some people don't realize is when you step on the ice in the pro game, all of a sudden you're playing against men. And, and one story that stands out in my mind, um, so I finished my junior career in PA uh, we had a ter terrible team that year, um, but I got an invitation to the Oilers camp, and that's where my relationship with the Edmonton Oilers started. And um, I uh, went to camp in Edmonton, then went to Hamilton, that was their American League affiliate, and then I ended up in Columbus, which, by the way, we also had a team in our – you talk about the, the name Columbus Cottonmouths. There was also a team in our division called the Macon Whoopie. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Make How and does whoopie. that even happen? Make and whoopie, look it up. <laughs> Who comes up with that? <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, uh, anyhow, we um, uh, so I got sent to Columbus, and uh, I got picked up at the airport by this guy that I like. I'm I'm a 21 year old kid. I I could have sworn the guy was a coach, right? He was yes. like he had the glasses, graying hair, <laughs> like whatever. Well, I find out after he drops us off at the airport that this is Barry Dreger. They called him the White Rhino. He was a long-term player. He played defense, and he was our defense, like our one of our <laughs> senior defensemen. Well, I tell you, going playing junior hockey as a twenty-year-old against sixteen, seventeen, eighteen-year-old defensemen, you know these young kids, yeah. teenagers, versus going into the corner and battling against Barry Drager, you know, a 20-year or 15-year season pro who had been drafted by, I forget who, I, well, I don't know, but he had played in the IHL and, you know, going and trying to battle him in the corner, like, it's a, it's a big difference. And yeah. you realize real quick that you're playing against men. And, uh, and so the, the pro jump was big. Um, there again, um, there was a lot of confidence that the coaches put. Um, there were some young guys. Ryan Smith's younger brother, Jared, was on that team. And uh, Sean McCaslin, who had played uh, with the Calgary Hitmen. And, and we played on a line together. And that transition um, was a lot of fun. It was different. Uh, you talk about going into the pro game. We went from billeting, you know, to all of a sudden I was living with Sean McCaslin, two rookies, never lived on our own. I wasn't a cook. He wasn't a cook. We went to the first, um, they had, uh, they had this club that would kind of support the guys. We were each assigned a family and anything that you need, they called it, you know, there's a booster club and the booster club held this party for us right away after we got there. Well, they had, it was a barbecue. We had 
hot dogs and hamburgers and they had these big tin tubs and they had like a tin tub leftover of hot dogs. Well, we didn't know how to cook. We just asked if we could take this tin of hot dogs, <laughs> we took it, put it in our fridge and I swear that's what we ate for like the first month of Wow. <laughs> My parents came down to visit us and mom was like, in the fridge. Yeah, she's like, where's your food? Like, where, where are your spices? I'm like, spices? What do, I, what do I need spices for? We were just like, all we knew how to do was boil like spaghetti and then we just buy ragu sauce and dump it on there. And we had the oatmeal packages for breakfast in the morning and that was as far as our, you know, meals went. So, you know, you talk about an adjustment, it was. And it wasn't until I lived with an older player that, you know, him and, uh, and his soon-to-be wife was, you were cooking and they helped me learn how to cook. And yeah, you learn pretty quick, but at the same time, those first years, you roll your eyes at what you were doing the uh the hot dogs could have went good on the spaghetti too you cut those up and a little, well, a little bit of meat in there i agree i agree <laughs> um you played you played uh 140 echl games and you hear now you hear stories on different podcasts and we've talked to you guys too the the travel in the echl can be a bit of a grind and, and the bus trips and you're getting little sandwiches and and what was it what was it like for you the travel because obviously you've just played western hockey before that yeah, the um, it was it was interesting. I mentioned the booster club; they were amazing. Um, yeah. uh, they said, you know, we'll, but we'll bring you a whole bag of snacks every road trip. They would meet it no matter what time we were leaving in the morning. They would bring us snacks, and they were saying, they said, you might as well tell us what you like because we're going to bring you something whether you want it or not. And so yeah. that that was incredible. Um, the the Columbus Scott Mills, I mentioned the Macon Whoopi. There was a couple teams that had just made the jump into the ECHL that year. So they had played in the Central League uh, the years leading up to there uh, before they had signed as a the AA affiliate of the Oilers. And so they had kind of a little culture down with those teams where you'd go into the opposing team's rink and the other team's booster club would cook supper for the visiting team, which seems oh. bizarre, yeah. but that was that was part of it for a lot of those teams down there in the southern states so that was totally different and super cool though because we'd finish we'd finish playing the game and you'd get changed load your bag on the bus and they had like a whole the home cooked spread for you which was unbelievable you know really Um, so that that was interesting that was different than what I had ever experienced because usually you're just ordering off a menu and you eat on the bus on your road to the next to the next place Um, but the travel wasn't too bad down there because a lot of the teams are fairly close. Saying that, we did have some long bus trips down to, you know, so Fort Myers, Florida and, and whatnot. Yeah. There were, uh, there were some nice. interesting trips. It was, it was weird going from playing in the Western Hockey League. I mean, you're traveling to Brandon, Manitoba and Prince Albert, Saskatchewan. And, you know, and then you're down in Fort Myers, Florida, where there's palm trees and, you know, the beach just right there. So uh, definitely a lot of different experiences. But there were some crazy things that happened, too. You know, you hear about that. There was a definitely a professional level I don't want to downplay that they had an affiliation Mm. with the Oilers and so they did work closely with the assistant general manager Scott Housen who was a general manager of the Hamilton Bulldogs Uh, but yeah we saw a few things we saw some some trades and some management things that happened down there that that were that were quite interesting um the ownership group of the columbus team uh, wanda and shelby amos were were unbelievable they're they're owners of a of a um uh, of an insurance company called Aflac, which was maybe you've heard of an incredible insurance company, but they just loved hockey and they were standing down here. These people that, you know, uh, didn't need to own a hockey team, you know, to survive, but there yeah. they were cheering their hearts out for the team. And, you know, there's a lot of cool things. A lot of the fans down there, they weren't familiar with the game. They had learned the game. So they would announce offsides. They'd announce ice. <laughs> wow. You know, it'd be like ice in Columbus. And at first when you go down there, because we're so accustomed and we know yeah. hockey so well, and I don't know what it's like, this was quite a few years ago, but um, you know, for us, when we arrived down there, there was a lot of different things, but they just loved it. They loved the fights. They loved the, you know, the big hits, those things that they just, they just yeah. loved and they loved the team. And so we didn't have a huge following, but the, the people that were there loved the, loved the sport. Wow. Looking back at it all now between the AHL, the ECHL and the WHL, just are there any specific highlights or memories or something that you, you still take with you today and you think about frequently, just, just something that you'll never forget from your time playing professional hockey? Oh, so many things. Um, 
So uh, I, I had a chance to play a number of preseason games uh, with the Oilers. And so that was a dream come true. I grew up a Flames fan. Um, when the Flames oh. won the Cup in 89, uh, that was a pretty stellar moment for, for me and my brothers because we all loved the Flames. My, my next brother, Dusty, he was a smaller player, so he idolized Theron Fleury. And so um, we were big Flames fans. So then when I signed with the Oilers, um, I played my very first preseason game in Calgary, in the Saddle. Oh, no way. And so my whole family was there. My Uncle Jim, Jungle Jim, who I mentioned, they were all there. And uh, I actually got to start. It was, we played back-to-back games against the Flames. And so we, uh, it was just the start of the preseason. And we played two games. um, And the first night I wasn't on the roster. And then they said they were posting the lineup for the second game after the first one. So we all ran, you know, at the end of the game, we went down to see what the lineup was and I skimmed it so fast. I didn't see my name only to realize that. um, And I was starting first line center. And at that time, I don't remember the name, Fernando Pisani and Jason Chimera. So I was centering the line with uh, Paisan and Chimmer and I totally missed my name. So I kind of, you know, you, you see it, you're hopeful, you, turn away and yeah. for some reason I looked back and then I saw my name on the list and um, you know it wasn't a regular season game so it doesn't count but for me uh, that moment seeing seeing your name on a list that you're going to play in an actual NHL game yeah. um, was pretty special so we started that game standing on the blue line for the national anthems awesome that first game wow. was a moment that I'll never forget with my family there and uh, yeah that was a special moment all the preseason games were, were cool for me as a you know as as a player that never made that uh jump to playing regular season um the lockout year was a tough one for me that was coming off um uh a year that i i you know everybody's got their story of of woe of how they could have made it but um uh, and the stats don't really show it but the the back half of the my first year in the my first full year in the american league uh went really well and and um you know you kind of think well this is your chance i just resigned a new contract with edmonton so those are the low points along with the highs at the same time the guys that you play with the, the moments that uh, you hang out with guys just the little things practice um my second year of pro i was a black ace with a hamilton team that lost in game seven of the calder cup finals against houston oh. And so you got guys like, um, you know, well, that, that team was absolutely stacked. There were so many great players on that team. Marc-Andre Bergeron, you had, um, I think Eric Fischel was one of the goalies and he was a character, you know, all those practice, those moments where you're, where you're on the ice and playing with those guys, you know, it's all those little things that stand out to you. So, uh, yeah, a lot of great memories that I'm really thankful for. We'll move on from hockey shortly, but is there, and I, I kind of told you I was going to ask something along these lines, but is there something, is there one story that sticks out from your whole hockey career? Maybe, maybe a funny story. Is there, is there anything funny as far as, as the travel or anything that goes with playing uh, in the ECHL and the AHL? Oh man. Yeah. I know it's a tough, I mean, tough question to put you on yeah, the spot, but there, there were tons of them. I mean, um, some of the pranks and I don't know, I don't know how graphic we get. There were some pranks that were played in the hotels that were uh, well done. Very well done. I'll say that. Um, I remember my first year pro uh, we were, it was down in Columbus and we were playing against Pensacola and um, uh, Oh man, now I'm, I'm losing the names of the guys. It was, a, it was an old player that had played in the NHL and I just, his name's escaping me right now. And uh, we lined up against each other. And so I'm, first year pro lining up against a guy that I knew had played in the NHL back in the day. And I'm, I am as serious as can be. I mean, I got my sights set on playing with the Edmonton Oilers. I want to move up to the AHL. I don't want to be in the ECHL. And so here I am first face off against this old NHL or I'm, you know, he looks at me as we go into the face off circle and he says, five bucks on the draw. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> like, like, <laughs> so so uh, I, uh, I beat him in the face-off. The face-offs were something that, that I, you know, I prided myself in and I, and I beat him. Well, we lined up against each other again a little later in the game. Double or nothing? He said double or nothing. <laughs> I didn't answer with my money back. <laughs> I said, okay. And I beat him again and uh, 
third time we lined up, he said, no more. He said, that's it. <laughs> and uh, so we finished the game and uh, whatever. I hadn't thought of it since. And next thing I know, their trainer is in our dressing room and he walks up to my stall and he's got a $10 bill. And <laughs> no way. I'm like, I'm like, what's this? He said, hey, uh, he, you know, it came from the, I was like, man. So I ran outside and he was walking by with his bag. I said, hey, Greg Pankowitz, there we go. And he said, uh, and uh, he said, um, I said, hey, you don't have to give this to me. He's like, ah, it's just diaper money. He just gives you, he was married and <laughs> kids, you know. For me, I'm a young guy, you know, just little stuff like that, like in yeah. the moment that you just, the guys that make it. I remember playing in Cleveland and Todd Harvey, uh, who, had, you know, had a long NHL career, he was down in Cleveland at that time. I, I don't know why he must have been doing a rehab stint or something. And, uh, and, getting into a scrum in front of the net and I remember looking into his weathered face and funny thing was I got to know him later because he signed with the Oilers uh but standing in there as a young guy and I was I was trying to earn my spot and gave him a cross check and I was ready to you know I wasn't a big fighter but uh, every once in a while he dropped the gloves and I just remember him looking at me and saying sure you want to do this kid <laughs> you know just those you know those veteran eyes looking back at you and it, it just all those moments and in, in all those little rinks playing in Syracuse New York uh such a small rink the goalie was doesn't even sit but they spare goalie doesn't even sit on the bench with you they sit across the ice in oh. the end well you know where you enter the rink you know just little stuff like that that from those old barns and different places along the way yeah there's just so many memories that uh that um come back to you one cool thing my wife found the jersey that I wore in the Oilers preseason games I don't know how she found it but uh, nice the Chris Kalanis wore the same number that I wore in preseason uh and so it came as a package with both his name bar and mine or his, uh, yeah and so you know those things stand out to you, and you and those keepsakes that you keep forever and yeah that's awesome pretty precious on your uh we're gonna get into music here but do you need to shout out the the last six seasons you had on your elite prospects page yeah. anyway with the badgers 86 games 303 points throughout those six years absolutely unreal you never see those type of numbers we won't get into that too much you can share something there if you want to but uh that was last in 2013 uh your debut album came in 2016 so just in those few years after you were kind of done with the hockey scene uh just what kind of direction were you going was it music right away or were you thinking other things or just what kind of direction did you kind of head towards after you kind of hung up the skates a little bit there yeah, um, appreciate the shout out for senior. Yeah, that was, uh, <laughs> I never was more nervous than playing senior hockey in a small town. We uh, we made, I think, five consecutive provincial final runs. And then I uh, went to the Allen Cup finals a couple years with Rosetown, or went to the Allen Cup a couple years with Rosetown. Those were some fun days. When I think uh, you had, I, you had, you had 29 points in eight games one year. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah uh, those are good days uh no it was fun i i really enjoyed it i got to play with all my brothers uh there's five of us so we got two defensemen and three forwards and so there were times just the five of us out come on Uh, those were those were pretty special memories too honestly and those provincial championships our our town had never had been to a provincial finals and so that first year we made the provincial finals uh the lineup was i think two blocks and around the corner long just to get into the rink the old jubilee arena and shauneman was rocking and that's awesome that was pretty special uh but but the nerves ran high because the next in a town this size you get downtown and everybody was at the game you know asking you why you didn't you know score on that back (laughs) pass on the power play in the yeah that was a lot of fun um and then the the trips to the Allen Cup playing AAA man that that's some good hockey there's a lot of pro and junior players that that played in the Allen Cup and so uh, those were good memories too but when I came back I wasn't sure Uh, my last year in Manitoba with the Moose was outstanding cannot say enough about that organization Craig Heisinger um, who's our general manager there treated us like absolute pros um, offered me a chance to come back that was really hard to turn down yeah Uh, had to make a decision and the music played into it a large part. We had never really taken a, um, the music really seriously and uh, all the brothers were home. And so we, um, we took, we took a, made a decision to come home. Um, I had a few phone calls after that uh, from the Oilers organization asking if I wanted to come back. And so turning that down uh, those first couple of years was really hard. Um, 
saying that, um, we made the decision and uh, we kind of jumped into the music and we were really fortunate. We signed with Open Road Recordings and uh, RGK Entertainment and Ron Kitchener, who's the head of the label and, and the management company, um, has been really good to us. Um, the Canadian Country Music uh, Organization and, and just all the artists have been, uh, yeah, it's like a, it's like a close knit family. And um, we've, we've just had a lot of fun over the years. Um, it's been neat returning to a lot of the stadiums. Uh, we did the journey tour with Paul Brandt, High Valley and Jess Moskaluk. And uh, the special thing about that is going back to those same stadiums. We played the Saddle Dome, you know, yeah. where, where I played my first, NHL preseason game but this time you're on tour with Paul Brandt on a stage on that same ice surface or in that same building you know uh, just with a guitar in your hand instead of a hockey stick so there's been some pretty cool memories that I'm extremely thankful for as well and and seeing the response of the people as, as a musician now I mean that's far more at the forefront of my mind than than the hockey obviously and uh, you realize real quick just like how hard it is to make a you know a pro hockey team you realize how much it takes to get a song on the radio and the sacrifice that those radio stations make in order to make room for a new artist and so uh we're very very grateful and, and we're thankful for uh the support that we've got across the nation and uh it's been a neat road there yeah i was gonna ask i was gonna ask about the grind about trying to get a song on the radio or trying to get more shows or or something like that is for guys that aren't dialed into the music industry except hearing it on the radio or, or seeing you guys shows once you get big, for guys like us, what is the number one hardest thing about starting starting a band? Huh. Getting good music. I, we did a we did a, a thing with um, it was kind of a class that Ryan Tedder from One Republic put on. It was an online thing, and uh, you know he made a statement about writing good music. And uh, he said the best songs are the songs that are so simple in a sense that anybody listens to it and says, yeah, I could have wrote that. You know, I, I, that, I mean, of course you'd write that melody line. Of course you'd write, you know, that, that lyric. It just makes sense. And, and, um, and if it was easy, everybody would do it. So getting the music mm -hmm. that people want to hear, that's probably the biggest thing. And you realize that real quick. The next thing that hit us, we did a cross Canada radio tour and visited the radio stations. And you find out really quick that, I mean, you think of the number of songs that they would have on their playlist and, and I forget the stats exactly, but it's like they add something like a, a half a song per week on average. Well, you think of the hundreds and hundreds of musicians across Canada and the hundreds and hundreds of songs that they receive. Mm -hmm. So for you to be the one that they sit in their music meeting and they say, yeah, that's a song we want to add to our list. Yeah. Uh, it, it, it really um, it became apparent very, very quickly to us that, uh, you know, there's got to be something there in the music that, that connects to people. There's got to be something that they believe in. There's got to be relationships. I mean, so much of the music and the hockey world is built on relationships. And so you realize that really quick, um, getting a song on the radio and then getting something that people want to listen to, uh, is a tough thing. And, and so when people do latch on to your music, it, it means a lot. There's highs and lows with everything you do in life, but was there, was there ever a time just with, with the five of you where there was uncertainty about that direction? Like, I don't know whether to continue or maybe take a step back or was there ever that uncertainty where you guys just always kind of, kind of locked in? Cause obviously there's highs and lows and sometimes during the lows, you know, you have to debate whether some things are worth it, but were you guys always kind of locked onto this or were, were there times where you were uncertain about it? Oh no, we had all retired from playing hockey. We had, uh, we had been contacted by a producer. Uh, we had looked into it. He was from Nashville, seemed completely legit. This was before we signed with our label or anything. We were trying to get this country music thing off the ground. Um, and it, you know, in some ways you, it's kind of an embarrassing story, but at the same time, it's a reality that, that you hear people go through. So, um, we had done thought we had done our homework, made lots of phone calls to find out if this producer was legit. Everything checked out. We paid him up front for the album. That was how we went about it. We uh, went down, we recorded with him. We started uh, getting mixes back from this album and all of a sudden we quit hearing from him. 
guy just wow. fell off the face of the earth, you know, seemingly from our end. And what do you do from here? I mean, you go fly to Nashville and start knocking on doors. Like, what do you do? And we, every path that we went down to try to find out where he went or what happened to the music just led to another dead end, another dead end. And so we were sitting there going, now we've paid all this money to get an album done. We don't have an album. We don't have anything you know, what do we do? You know, yeah. and so that was a real low. We had all retired from playing hockey. We were a few years removed. So it wasn't like we were going to get back into it. And at that point it looked like it was just kind of a, I guess we'll just do a few shows here around. We were doing some stuff in schools and, and maybe that was the end of it. And so, yeah. And most artists I think have those type of stories in some way, shape or form. It may not be that exact thing, but where you grind it out, you try and you try and try and get off the ground and it just doesn't work. And, and um, yeah, through a bunch of circumstances, eventually uh, we knew the high Valley guys well, and Brad introduced us to our manager and introduced us to a, another producer. And we fortunately were able to get music together and wrote some songs that, uh, and got some songs that uh, people connected with and it took off from there. But yeah, there was a lot of grinding roads before that. Well, uh, we, we won't take too much more time. I know you got to pick up your daughter, but a few like quick questions we got to get to one, you personally, what's the favorite song you guys have put out for you personally? Um, that's a really good question. Um, that is a hard one and you become attached to different songs for different reasons. Born and Raised was the first one that connected with the, with the country music scene. It was our first top 10. Um, yeah. that was the one that we performed at the CCMAs that kind of, we felt kind of kickstarted our career. So that one, we performed it in our backyard. We did a Born and Raised Experience concert. Um, that, that music, live music video was filmed in our backyard. And so that was a pretty special one. Um, there were two on this last album that I think really stood out to me, the song Hard Dirt and the song Captain. Uh, Hard Dirt, it just speaks to what everybody goes through. There's a farming connection, but there also is the, the music connection. Uh, it was a song that was produced by Hunter Hayes, who we've always admired. So that relationship was pretty cool to, to work with Hunter on that and see his creativity. And the song Captain, um, we're actually right now working on kind of a more stripped down acoustic version of the song. And, uh, you know, that holds value for different reasons. You know, you go through life and you ask a lot of questions of, you know, and, and that song kind of speaks to, you know, questions we've asked and, and purpose, you know, deeper than just, hey, I like this song and, or I'm, I'm doing this thing or whatever and so um those two songs hold a lot of value for me and hard dirt sorry to cut you off matt hard dirt that is uh nominated for a ccma best video do i have that right uh yeah that got nominated for for uh best video so that was that was cool um and that song it features um our neighbor just <laughs> straight across the field that way <laughs> uh, to wow. the east. Um, uh, one of our good friends lost his wife and his unborn child and his mom in a accident in a car accident with a drunk driver and wow. so that video it kind of highlighted um, stories of hardship for for four or five different people and the one guy that's interviewed in that um, in that uh, or that you see in that video was the husband, the dad of our friend who lost his wife and then oh, man. daughter-in-law and, and unborn grandchild. So, uh, you know, that, that, that song holds a lot of, a lot of meaning not to, not to turn it down. There's a, you oh, know, no. they've, uh, they've, it's amazing how things have, have turned around for them, but, um, yeah. It's amazing. It's amazing. And when music isn't a part of your, uh, your da daily routine, what does a day look like for you? Yeah, we spent a lot of time in here recording and doing things. Sorry, I got an alarm that's going off. That was actually to let me know that we we're supposed to have the uh, interview five <laughs> <Yeah>. three. Uh, <laughs> um, anyway, uh, yeah, um, I've got a family, so I got three daughters, and so um, it's it's neat to see them grow up. I'm not at the hockey rink. I don't have hockey players. I've got dancers, so that's a go. that's a change for me. Uh, but uh, you know, spending time with them and my wife is, is something that I value. Um, I've gotten into, like we're farmers and so we, we plant things for a living, but I love, uh, we planted a whole bunch of trees and we've got a garden going. And so that's something that I find a lot of joy in, but uh, the music and the farming, and the family take up a lot of time. 
we got a we, we got a good amount of farmers of, for friends around here. We're we're personally I wouldn't say too much in the in the uh, farmer scene, but we do have a lot of friends. So we got to ask some questions about that. But first of all, I, yeah. I saw on the Instagram you guys make a lot of a lot of videos. If anybody listening is not following the Hunter Brothers on Instagram, that's a that's a definite follow you should see. But I I saw the, uh, the John Deere in a video. Do I got that right? Oh, John Deere. <laughs> <laughs> the new holland the new holland so i had to i had to see what that was like because because a lot of guys around here if you if you say the wrong tractor that they're driving that that's a that's a big red flag so same thing in saskatchewan then oh yeah and uh <laughs> this is a this is maybe disclosing too much information we got a song coming out that might uh talk about that Uh oh okay Ooh. okay yeah. wow. can't can't wait talk about those talk about those videos you guys make for the instagram though or do you go a whole day where you just film a bunch of them or is it just kind of spontaneous? Yeah. Uh, we've done everything. Um, my brothers are pretty creative. Ty and Brock, they come up with some crazy ideas. I don't know if you've seen the piano stack video. We were planning to do this video with a piano. Next thing we know, we're building this five stack piano (laughs) thing on our (laughs) farm and, uh, they come up with all sorts of ideas and, uh, some of them we can do, some of them we can't, but, uh, um, yeah, that's, that's the fun of it. And when we find the magic happens with those is when it's something we're all excited about. It's, um, it's sometimes is, you know, social media is a tough thing because uh, it never sleeps. You put out a video today and it's old news tomorrow. And so uh, coming out with new content, new material all the time is it can be a daunting process, but we've found for us when it's something that we can really kind of enjoy and have fun with, that's when, that's when it makes a lot of sense. And so some of the videos that you'll, you'll see on there. Yeah. We've had a lot of fun with over the years. And I've got to ask this one. It's been in the back of my mind for a little while now. You, you grew up cheering for Calgary, but you were part of the Edmonton organization. So now when it's the Battle of Alberta, whose side are you taking? I was actually asked that yesterday. Um, I, I, I'm loyal to the Oilers. I, I definitely have to be. Um, yeah, I was with the organization for quite a few years. And so, uh, you know, they've got a thing up in the dressing room that says once an oiler, always an oiler. And so I, uh, I, I have to stick with the Oilers saying that I, I'm one of those strange people, I guess, that can cheer for both the Flames and the Oilers, but if you want head for the head, I, I definitely cheer for the Oilers. And I, Man, McDavid is just something special. Like that guy, he's did, he's another level. Did you hear his quote yesterday when or two days ago, whenever he uh made that move on Hedman and beat him wide? The reporter yeah. asked him, uh, so you you took one of the best defensemen wide and his reply was, Yeah, I'm I'm pretty good too though, so <laughs> <laughs> That's I love I love when he gets like a he's he's a very humble guy. I love when he yeah. gets a little bit cocky in the media. Because yeah. yeah. he yeah, deserves he, to be all the cockiness he wants. The guy is <laughs> unbelievable. And I just yeah, he blows me away. Like I um on Saturday night when they were playing Tampa, I didn't watch the whole game, but I I threw it on in the third period. And uh when I threw it on, they had that delayed penalty call, and it was about the 16, 17 minute mark of the of the third period and he basically just handled the puck for like 45 seconds like who can do when you're playing the elite the best in the world and you stand out that much like he is something special i was uh, i was really excited to watch him in the olympics i i hope that there's uh best of the best country on country sometime soon because i'd love to see him you know now at this level play for team canada who there's a question for you guys who would they put on his line I think, uh, I think I had McKinnon and Huberto is what I remember talking about before. Yeah, yeah I think McKinnon. Who would you line him up with? I think McKinnon. I, I'd love to see him play with McKinnon. Yeah, I think. Uh, yeah, I, I think I think you're you're fine. Did they ever talk about throwing Marchand on them too? I think they always want to keep Marchand with Crosby and Bergeron. Yeah, I suppose. Yeah. But yeah, it's super disappointing though, no Olympics again. I was I know I was so looking forward to that. That's probably going to be the last year with that line being able to dominate too, like Crosby, Bergeron, yeah. and Marchamp. Like we'll yeah. we'll see we'll see in four years, but yeah, I I agree with you. I don't I don't know. I mean, I would love to see those guys at least on the same team. Even you know, I'm a big Crosby fan still too. Mm-hmm. You know, just his character and and just how he's gone about things. I I've really appreciated him. So yeah, it's going to be sad when those guys aren't part of that equation. Mm-hmm. 
uh, as just closing up here. Um, so we're Kitchener-Waterloo area in Ontario. Is there a, is there a time or a, uh, this year, is it possible that we're going to be seeing the Hunter brothers in the summer or how does that? We, uh, um, this summer, we're not going to be in Ontario lots saying that, uh, there may be one that's, um, and I should actually see if it's been confirmed yet. Um, there is a festival in Ontario that, that we are looking at coming to do. Um, we're kind of spread out from coast to coast. We have Cavendish on the books out in PEI, all wow. the way up to Sunfest out in BC. So uh, we've got quite a few things in between. I'm hoping there's going to be a couple in, uh, should actually check our master tour to see, but uh, if it's actually confirmed. But I'm hoping, I'm hoping it's not long before we're there in Ontario. We'd, we'd love to come see you live sometime. So when we're, when you're within like Toronto, London or Kitchener Waterloo, we, we'd we'll love to there. come see you live. Oh, yeah. I'd love to. Yeah, it is on the books uh, in Lucknow. Where's Lucknow? I don't even know. Lucknow's oh yeah. That's, not... that's like two hours West of us or so. Or yeah. oh, are not you, quite. Are you playing uh, boots and hearts? Uh, not this year. No, we're not on the boots and hearts docket this year, but uh, yeah. Lucknow music in the field. That's uh, oh, music oh, in the yeah. Fields. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. Uh, music Friday, August 26th. We're there. Wow. All right. Well, I, I know a lot of people are going that. Maybe we'll see what we can do. That would be awesome. I'd love to hang out with you guys in person. That would be awesome. Yeah, that'd be unreal. If we can't we do this summer. We didn't even talk Blue Jays. Yeah. I know oh, that's yeah, the thing. True. We still got true. so much we got to get yeah. to. <laughs> Blue Jays are – what's – okay, quick prediction for the Blue Jays this year. Yeah, they're good enough. I, I you know, and I think even with their starting rotation um, – I like what they have when, when you look at, I think Manoa is uh, what I saw anyway. I mean, you've got him in the rotation then with Brios. I think Brios is a fantastic pitcher, yeah. right? You of course. And so I think, um, I don't know. Gosman is going to be, I mean, they've been high on him for a while. Like they've tried to bring him in for a while now. Yeah. So um, obviously they've been successful in doing that, bringing in Robbie Ray, Steven Matz. I mean, in past years, um, they saw something because Ray was a great pitcher, strikeout guy, but they obviously saw something. So I'm hoping that Gosman's the same thing. What do you guys think about their Ray rotation? Well, Pete Walker, I think that's the biggest yeah. thing. I think he, I think he might be the best pitching coach in the whole league. Like, he could he, be. He definitely could be. And Robbie Ray's probably Robbie Ray's probably his like prime thing on his resume now. Like took a guy that, like you said, a strikeout guy, and made him into a Cy Young. Yeah, unbelievable. So if that rotation can can um, can stick in there and not have too many injuries, I mean, their offense speaks for itself. They're, I mean, uh, Vladdy and Bo, those guys are unreal and so much fun. Oscar. So like, I think I think that way they're set up. Um, bullpen is always a question mark. It seems know, like yeah. it's such a. I mean, even on bullpens that you think, man, they'll be unbelievable. It seems like there's they can be so hit and miss, and I know that is I just, so key. I mean. I want them to sign somebody in the bullpen that for like five years that just can solidify either closer or setup spot. Like Romano, I, I love Romano, but yeah. I don't know. The, the bullpen seems to be a question every year. Yeah, I don't disagree at all. Yeah, and to, to get a guy that's consistent year in, year out, it seems like that's a hard thing. I see they signed Joe Biagini to a minor league deal. Yeah, that's amazing. Did you see no, that, Matt? Oh, no way, really. Joe, Joe he's Biagini. Joe he got signed back. to a minor league. I hope he's in the bullpen so wow. bad, just for his interviews. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Talk, talk, uh, about guys, talk about guys that are like on a list of guys I want to interview on here. Joe Biagini's got to be. Oh, yeah, yeah. You guys got to let me know if you ever get him on there because I would love to see that. All right. <laughs> I, I feel like it would be a weird interview because I think he would just be throwing curveball after curveball after us. We'd be on our toes the whole time. Yeah, I think yeah, he'd be yeah. interviewing us by the end of it. Yeah, yeah I, I think so. that would be brilliant. Yeah. Uh, JJ, well, this, is, this has been amazing, though. This has been amazing. Yeah. Uh, we thank you very much for doing this. Um, talked about that merch we're gonna have to get some uh we're, we're gonna order some hoodies and not that you need the advertising but we'll wear it proud here in ontario and and uh keep listening to your music as well man really appreciate it guys thanks for having me on and thanks for what you do it's uh it's great being on here and talking and uh love talking sports so don't get to do that every day so i appreciate you guys thank you I really appreciate it huge thank you to the jj hunter for coming on the episode it was uh, a real honor to have him on, and it's sponsors like 519 Tech that make that possible. And 519 Tech Services, is your phone, phone battery dead before the end of the day? 
having to recharge it a couple of times a day. 509 Tech Surfaces in Elmira, Ontario now offers extended capacity battery replacements on most iPhones. They offer fast and affordable repairs for all makes and models of phones, tablets, and computers. Diag diagnostic testing is always free. All repairs are covered by a lifetime warranty against defects. You can visit 519techservices.ca or call or text Peter at 226-444-9927 to get a quote. If you're not in the Waterloo region, they offer mail-in repairs too. Just fill out the form on their website. And speaking of that, if you mention Chum Talk Podcast, you will receive 10% off on your repair, repair bill. Again, for Peter, that number is 226-444-9927. Highly recommend. And uh, yeah, here we are. We're we're cruising to Toronto right now. We're just kind of approaching the Kitchener area. It's We've only ever done one uh, in-car interview before, and it was a little bit unintentional. We kind of got kicked out of my mom's house, so we had to boogie over to the Wellesley Arena, and I think we did in uh, Dylan Liebold's car, so uh, this is the second time doing that, but we're, we're, re we're ready to chat. It's a little bit different. We just got one mic between the two of us, but Brady, what are your thoughts on the day? Well, I feel like we... Like, we maybe didn't think this through in the fullest. Uh, as you said, we're just getting on the 7 and 8, coming off the, the roundabout outside of Elmira. It's a snowy day, um, so I feel like the slush is being heard on the mic, but hopefully it's not too bad, and hopefully you can uh, get past the get past the sound to listen to a couple idiots chat for a little bit. We are headed to Leaf Games, so we do want to do a quick Leaf chatter. Um, I was talking to Matt as we were leaving, and every time I go to a to a game of a team I cheer for, so usually the Jays or the Leafs, I ha have all the thoughts of what could go wrong for my team in that time. And then we were listing the things that happened to the Leafs for this game. Austin Matthews, two-game suspension. We won't be seeing the best player on the planet. Uh, Eric, what's his name? Eric Cracklin? Eric Colgren, I think. Colgren is getting his first NHL start. We'll see how that goes. Leaf goalies have been atrocious lately. Uh, what else has happened? Oh, I just, I, I, I think that going, leading up to the trade deadline, the Leafs always hit this little lull in the season, and I'm, actually, I'm going to pivot this quick. So, Matt, you are, are always on my case about saying the regular season doesn't matter. Does this losing streak have you worried about the Leafs? No, it, it doesn't. I mean, the Leafs, they're still going to make the playoffs. They're still going to be there no matter how bad it gets. Obviously, if they lose every game, you're not going to make it, but... Uh, but I I just think uh, the most these games matter right now for me just because the trade deadline like this is the last episode that we're going to publish before the trade deadline happens so between now and next Monday here there will be a, for sure a move or two you would think that the Leafs make and I'm I'm really intrigued to see what they do obviously they're in a bit of a pickle at the goaltending situation Jack Campbell obviously currently hurt and you know Mrazek not doing great and as you mentioned. We have the honor of seeing Eric Colgren's first NHL start. So, you know, uh, is his first name even Eric for sure? I, th I think it's Eric, yeah. <laughs> but anyway, Colgren. But we got to remember too, they do have Thomas Grice who they acquired a little bit ago. So, I mean, I, I don't know if we'll see the Leafs make a trade for a goaltender, but I mean, I don't know if if you're making one move, are you getting a defense or a forward or a goaltender? between now and Monday because this this is the last time we'll be able to talk about it before the deadline is passed. Well, I want to start off by saying Thomas Grace is not on the Toronto Maple Leafs. Didn't they acquire a goaltender? Wasn't it Grace? Carter Hutton. Carter Hutton. Just kidding. Just kidding. <laughs> well, anyway. Thomas Grace is a Detroit uh, Detroit's backup goalie uh, behind Nadolkovic, so we got that one wrong, but uh, yeah, the... the uh, the sights for driving here aren't aren't getting any better. I wouldn't say it's uh, it's just misty. It's real misty and disgusting out here on the seven and eight. Just past Homer Watson. Uh, we're we're gonna be headed to the four hundred one here shortly. Yeah, I, I don't know. We, it was a long interview, so maybe we'll just maybe we'll just cut it off there. Yeah, maybe we just <laughs> cap her off. But anyway, uh, this is probably a disaster. Probably a disaster. But anyway, uh, go Leafs go and uh, go. hopefully. Uh, the Leafs are able to pull something off before the deadline on Monday here because they're de definitely in need of some help. But anyway, a huge thanks to JJ Hunter again for coming on the podcast with us. Oh. And yep, go ahead, Brady. I forgot one thing I had to say about the JJ Hunter interview. If you're still listening, JJ Hunter has joined 
the Chump Talk Fantasy Baseball League, which is hilarious. We don't talk about it in the interview, but we talked about it after. He, we, he stayed and shot, shot the shit with us for like 20 minutes after the episode. And we were talking about baseball and our fantasy leagues. He's like, oh, do you guys have a league? And we are like, yeah, yeah, you want in? And we exchanged emails, and, and next thing you know, J.J. Hunter. Is, so far, there's three people in the league. It's me, it's Matt, and it's J.J. Hunter. So that is hilarious. If you're one of the few lucky people uh, out of the 20 to be in our league, and it's going to be invite only this year, so we are going to be sending out those invites shortly. But if you're lucky enough, you're going to have one of the Hunter brothers in your fantasy baseball league with you, which is I find hilarious. Yeah, unreal. And uh, they they talked about coming to Ontario this summer, so we're, we're hopeful to see them at some point. But, yeah, we're going to end her off there. Everyone take care out there, and we'll see you next week. Peace!